Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Wes. I'm our pastor here. Really glad to have you, especially if it's your first time here today. I know coming somewhere new can be, hello, I'm good to see you, man. Um, it can always be nervous. Hi to you online, watching online. If you're new online, we're glad to have you as well. Um, I know anytime we come somewhere new, it can be a little nerve-wracking, especially when, like, church and Jesus, you know, it's only the God of the universe is involved. So, you know, thanks for being here, checking stuff out and uh, exploring and getting involved. We really appreciate it. We're glad to have you here today. Um, I want to talk to us about a practice of the way of Jesus. I think that video says it really well. If we want to walk in the way of Jesus, if we want to experience the life of Jesus, what it means is we need to imitate the patterns and the practices of Jesus. And so that's what we've been talking about uh, through the course of this message series. And uh, today, I actually want to start by reading to you a passage of scripture. Uh, some of you may be familiar with it. This comes from uh, God's top 10 list, aka the Ten Commandments right here. And here's what uh, it says in Exodus chapter 20. We are told, uh, God, you know, he's, he's given this to Moses around the tablets. And we're told, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is to be a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your male, nor female servant, nor your animals, okay? Nor any foreigner residing in your towns. God gets kind of like Oprah right here, like, you get a car, you get a car, you know, like that kind of thing, right? Uh, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, God gives these Ten Commandments, and I think it should tell us something, um, that one of the Ten Commandments that God actually offers his people when he's constituting a nation is he actually offers them the commandment, um, thou shalt taketh a dayeth offeth, okay? Like, like he's, he's saying, you need to rest. So that's really important to God. In fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, um, the longest one is actually the one about Sabbathing. It's about taking a rest. And it's an all-inclusive command, okay? It wasn't just like the elites get to take a day off, all the peon people, right? We got to keep working, okay? It wasn't just like, hey, people who have this amount of money or people who have this kind of, it's like everyone, all-inclusive kind of, you need to take a day off. Um, If you talk to like cultural anthropologists and sociologists and people who study people groups for a living, they will actually tell you that over the like 4,000 years or whatever that the Hebrew people have been a people, the defining characteristic of Judaism is this idea of a, a keeping of the Sabbath day. They take it very seriously. I actually grew up in a very Jewish neighborhood outside of Columbus, Ohio, and I can assure you the Jewish people take their Sabbath very, very seriously. I can still remember on Saturday mornings, we had this huge window in our front room of our house. And I can still remember seeing all the couples and people kind of walk into the synagogue that was a few streets over uh, from where our house is. And just, I remember even as a kid, I was like, this is so crazy, mom. Like, why are they walking somewhere? It's like 20 degrees outside, you know, like all this kind of thing, because they're very serious about this idea of Sabbath and keeping it holy. And, and the reason I share that with you is basically to help you understand this really big idea, that God is serious about rest, okay? Um, you got to love the idea of a God who is serious about rest. This idea of the Sabbath was really unheard of back in the ancient world, in part because, like, we talk about, oh, it's really hard to take a rest, right, because I have emails i got to catch up on, or I've got, 
you know, oh, I got to do this errand, or I got to go to the grocery store, or my kids have to go to this place, or, you know, whatever it is, right? But, like, you got to think, back in the ancient days, taking a day off was really difficult, right? Because it wasn't like, oh, yeah, let me open up my refrigerator and just see what leftovers I've got inside, right? It wasn't like, hey, let me run down to Publix and we're going to get a box of cookie crisp because, you know, it's cereal for dinner night because it's a Sabbath, right? You couldn't do that, right? If you wanted, like, you know, I don't know, chicken, right? It was like, well, I mean, first you got to raise the chicken, then you got to slaughter it. You know, like there's a whole process you had to go through in the ancient world, right? It wasn't quite that simple. And the idea that God, in fact, what we know is the Hebrew people were the first people ever to practice this idea of taking a day off because it was just so unheard of. Literally, the world had not conceived of such a way to live before. God was serious about rest you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, and God is still serious about rest today. And so I want to talk to us about walking in a rhythm of rest, okay? Now, it's kind of weird because I think all of us have never met a person that goes, you know why I hate rest? You know, like everyone kind of goes, yeah, I would love a day off. I'd love to take a vacation. Some of you, you just got back from your vacation and you're already fantasizing about the next vacation, right? Tomorrow is a holiday for me. I don't have to work tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, yes, thank you so much, Jesus. Yeah, that's amazing, right? Even though I've only been back to work for like two weeks since the Christmas holiday, okay? Like, it's kind of weird. Like, we love this idea of rest, but yet we are so bad at taking a rest. And there are a number of reasons I think that is. One of those is situational, okay? All of us have this little device in our pocket online. You might be watching on this device right now, actually. Uh, but we have this little device in our pocket that means that we're connected 24-7, 365, everywhere, all the time, to anyone who's got our contact information somehow, right? And that puts pressure on us because we feel like, oh, I need to be responsive. Oh, I can't really go off the grid. You know, oh, I can't do that. Um, I don't know if you ever watch a TV show or a movie and like someone needs to communicate really important information to someone, but then you realize the movie's from like the 80s and you're like, oh, if only they had a cell phone. No, no, you know, like what are they going to do? Right? I love the show Seinfeld and like half of the episodes of Seinfeld. I was like, if George would just call Jerry's cell phone, like this would be, so, and I'm like, oh, they didn't have cell phones. You know, like that's kind of thing. Okay. But we're connected all the time. And that wears on us, okay? So there's situational stuff. You know, a lot of us are working from home now. So maybe that might be a new transition. That might be a new rhythm with the whole pandemic, right? And one of the things that that complicates is now the lines between my work life and my home life get more blurred than ever. When I was a pastor in Chicago, I had about a 20-minute commute home. And that 20-minute commute was handy for a number of things. But one of the things that was kind of handy was it was kind of like this decompression period where it's like okay work is at work and now I'm going home and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna be home now right I'm like work is over now and now that we work from home and we do all this kind of stuff it's kind of hard right they get blurred together different the lines get crossed all that sort of thing so that makes it hard to take a rest but I'm going to propose to you and this is a little counterintuitive so bear with me here I'm going to propose to you that our struggle with rest is actually a struggle with fear Okay, our struggle with rest is really a struggle with fear. And let me explain that. Um, our struggle with rest is really a struggle with a couple different fears. So some of us, and this is me, I'll, I'll just end this. It's a fear of losing my identity. Okay, we live in a culture that basically always kind of sends us this message. You are what you do. Okay, that you are what you produce. Um, even something as innocuous, I catch myself doing all this time, uh, all the time. My wife will ask me a question like, hey, how was your day today? 
Oh, it's good. I got a lot done, right? Well, what have I done? What have I done? Well, I've equated the quality of my life with how much I have produced, right? You know, like I've immediately done that. That's a no-no, right? Because what that means is when my identity, when my life is bound up in my productivity, my achievement, okay, talking to all you Enneagram 3s out there, you know, if you're into that, right? Um, when my life gets bound up in that, what happens is when my quality of production suffers, my identity suffers, right? I feel like a craptastic version of myself. Isn't that true? Or um, in this case, when my identity is in what I produce and in what I do, rest is the most threatening thing I can do, right? Because when I'm not producing anything, who am I, right? Where is my value? Where's where that coming from, right? And so some of us, we struggle to rest because we think, man, I have no value and worth apart from what I do. Here's the second reason we struggle to rest. We struggle to rest because we've got FOMO, right? We've got the fear of missing out. And so the reason that your calendar is loaded with 25 different things, you always say yes, you never say no to every appointment because you go, oh, what if I miss out? Oh, what if this cool thing happens? I'm not part of it, right? You've actually got your schedule so overloaded that like that one time a week when a friend flakes out on you for whatever reason, you're like, oh, praise the Lord, right? You know, because you're like, I didn't really want to do that anyway, actually. I'm so glad, right? But we load our calendars with so much stuff because we're just afraid that we're going to miss out on something great, on something important if we aren't involved in every single thing, right? That is not a restful way to live. A third fear. We fear losing control, right? When I am active, when I am engaged, I feel like I have some measure of control over things, which is kind of stupid when you think about it, right? Because isn't it true that you catch yourself sometimes trying to control like the one per like one thing, right? You're like really trying to control someone's behavior, but you can't do that. So you just control everything around the person, right? To try and do that. The you know, parents, we do that. And, and, and uh, you know, I do that a lot as pastor. I don't know about else, right? Bosses do this a lot. Okay. That we fear losing control. We fear not being in control. And so, you know, hate to tell you, uh, control is kind of a full-time job. And it's a full-time job that unless you're, you know, the Lord of the universe, you're probably not very good at. Um, and so if you kind of feel like, oh, man, the worst thing for me is to lose control, well, what's going to happen is you're going to tire yourself out because you weren't designed to constantly maintain and live in and walk in control. We need rest. And the fact is, a lot of us are not very good at taking it. That God is serious about rest, and we like to think that we're serious about rest, well, when push comes to shove, we actually really, really struggle with this concept. And that's okay. What it means is we just need a rule of life to help us get there. If you're just opting in with us and joining in with us, I've been talking about this concept called a rule of life. It's an ancient spiritual practice, been around for almost 2,000 years. And a rule of life, you see here, that's a very intimidating definition, but we'll walk through it. A rule of life is a predetermined set of patterns, practices, and rhythms. So it's stuff I kind of think about in advance. Uh, in my life, a, a set of patterns, practices, and rhythms designed to help us grow toward greater love for God and a greater love for others. And we've talked about this idea that our lives don't naturally grow in the direction of greater love for God and greater love for others. And a rule of life is sort of like a trellis. It's a structure that undergirds our life and helps us grow in a particularly desired direction. That's the whole goal of it. So today, I want to talk about a rule of life for the rhythms of rest. In fact, I've just got one rule I want to urge you to adopt. 
I'm not going to tell you right now because then you'll tune out of my sermon. So I got to talk a little bit more. I do want to look at the life of Jesus a little bit here today uh, and, and kind of see how he put this into practice and one example of him doing this. So I want to take a look at this passage. It comes from uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke is a biography of Jesus' life and teaching uh, written by a guy named Luke. So he really got super creative in the titling of that of his document he wrote here. And Luke tells us about this example uh, from Jesus' life that I think shows us a lot about God's heart for us as it pertains to the subject of arrest, okay? Uh, here's what Luke writes. He says, As they continued their travel, Jesus and his disciples, uh, Jesus entered a village, and a woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. So she was very open, very hospitable, very kind, welcomed Jesus and his uh, 12 greasy, grimy, grubby, you know, gross friends probably into her home, okay? Uh, and she had a sister named Mary who sat before the master, that's kind of a term, term of art for Jesus, okay? Hanging on every word that he said. Now this family, Mary and Martha, they had a brother. Anyone know what the brother's name was? Lazarus, that's right, Lazarus. He had a very successful uh, department store chain until about 10 years ago. I don't know if anyone, no one even gets that joke. Okay, that's good. Um, and so Lazarus, Mary, and Martha became very close friends of Jesus. Okay, we see them appear several points. Some of you might recognize Lazarus' name because he died and then Jesus raised him back to life. You know, so it's kind of cool for, for their family to have that happen. Okay, but Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the disciples, they were pretty tight, okay? And so I imagine every time that Jesus came into town, um, he, he made sure to stop off at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus's home, hang out there and spend time with them, okay? Jesus is here. Um, I imagine like he didn't walk in being like, I'm going to go into this family's home and I'm just going to start preaching, you know? Like what I think happened is Jesus, he's kind of sitting around the dining room table or whatever, and he just kind of starts talking about life, you know, and everyone gets kind of interested because it's Jesus and he's got a lot of wisdom to share. And so everyone kind of starts to go into the living room and they're listening and all this stuff. But meanwhile, um, we, we discover, I think, in Mary, as she kind of sits and she's really listening attentively to Jesus, we discover something really important about rest in this, is that rest isn't solely about ceasing from work. It's about being with God, okay? That that if Jesus is truly the source of rest, if being with God is truly the source of rest, Bree introduced that song to us earlier today that we sang that kind of points us at that idea, okay? That, that rest isn't just, I don't work. It actually is an active process of me being with God. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but like when I take some time to rest and I just kind of sit on my couch and I veg out and I'm like, you know, watching the first season of Kimmy Schmidt or I don't know, whatever it is that you're watching, okay? Like that's fun and that's good, right? But do you ever find yourself, you kind of like binge the thing on Netflix or Hulu and you guys are like, I mean, that was cool, but you don't really feel like rested, you know? Like I don't really know how to explain that. Maybe it's just me. The reason is because rest, true soul rest that God desires to give you and I, that the Sabbath is all about, it's not just about me not working. It is actually about my entirety of my life being replenished and refilled. And yes, ceasing from work is a part of that. That's an important part of that. But it's not just that. It's, it's an active process. Um, you know, like doctors in a hospital, they understand that there's a difference between a patient who's able to sleep versus a patient who's like constantly under sedation or like in a coma, right? Like no, like no one wakes up from a coma and is like, man, I feel so rested and refreshed right now, right? Because that's not sleep. Sleep is an active process, right? And in the same way, rest for our souls works in the same way. 
So Jesus is teaching. He's talking. Mary's here listening. But then the story kind of takes a little bit of a turn here. Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Now, let's just kind of stop and pick that apart. Isn't that a picture for our lives? Like, isn't it true that a lot of us, we operate, we're like, Jesus, please come into my heart, come into my life, come into my home, right? And Jesus does. And he's sitting here in the dining room. And then what do we do? We leave him in the dining room all by himself because we're, we're over here doing our other thing. I mean, I got pulled away by all the demands of work. I got pulled away by all the things I'm trying to do with my kids. I got pulled away with, I'm trying to get into this school. I'm trying to apply to this job. I'm trying to get this scholarship. I'm trying to achieve this, this you know, whatever kind of team at work that I want to be a part of, or this accolade, or this honor I'm going after, right? Hey, Jesus, come in, come in, come, come in here. But meanwhile, I'm going to be like super mom or super dad or super sister or super brother, you know, whatever it is that you're doing over here, right? And the demands of our life have this funny, funny way of pulling us away from the very God who we invited in and who, in fact, our souls are, are craving and desiring to give him attention. But then it gets worse. Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen, and later she stepped in interrupting them. Oh, Jesus, that's really nice what he just said about the meaning of life. Who cares? Okay, uh, boring. Okay, I have something really important I need to, right? She, she interrupts them, okay? Which just, let's stop and think about this for a second, okay? There is a wonderful work that God desires to do in your life, but our fear of rest keeps interrupting it, Okay? Jesus is speaking the words of life and wisdom and everything you could ever need in this moment to Martha, to Mary, to the disciples, to anyone who will listen. And Martha can't hear it because she's so obsessed with all the stuff that's pulling her away. She is unable to stop, to sit, and to rest. And I hate to tell you guys, we do the same thing. There's an amazing work that God might be desiring to do in your life and in my life. But my fear of rest keeps interrupting it. And the same way when probably you've tried to have a conversation with someone before and they keep interrupting you and you get to the end of the conversation and you feel like, I said the thing I wanted to say, but I don't feel like I really communicated. I don't feel like I really connected. I don't feel like I was really heard in the same way. Jesus is trying to speak life into our lives, but we just keep interrupting him. Every, hey, Jesus, can I get a word? Hey, Jesus, can I do that? Hey, Jesus, hang on there a second. I gotta go take the, you know, like, and when we do that all the time, and then we get surprised when we don't feel rested. And then it gets even worse. So Martha isn't just pulled away. Martha doesn't just interrupt the Son of God, right? Here's what Martha, how Martha fishes. Then she starts addressing Jesus, and she gets a little snarky with Jesus. Okay, she says, Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand, right? Jesus, it's clear who's in the right here, and it isn't her, okay? She needs to be with me, right? She needs to be, she needs to be doing my thing. She needs to be involved in my, in my deal. She needs to be a part of my life the way I desire her to be a part of my life, all these different things, right? Tell her to come in here and help me out. Now, Martha sounds kind of angry right now. 
Martha is actually, I think, kind of afraid because fear and anger are usually kind of, they're kind of bedfellows with one another. I don't know if you've noticed that. Okay, a lot of times when I'm angry, I'm really afraid of something, okay? And my suspicion is, here's what Martha's afraid of. Martha's afraid of, oh my gosh, I've taken on this role for myself of being the ultimate hostess with the mostess, and if this dinner doesn't go off just the way I want it to, I'm going to look like a failure. Martha's thinking, man, if I can't even have guests in my home and have it all together and just kind of glide through like, like a Martha Stewart right here, you know, just kind of doing everything perfectly and it looks great. And, oh my gosh, how does she do it? You know, and man, people are going to, people are, my image of so carefully constructed in my life, man, it's going to, it's going to come crumbling down. Maybe Martha's fear is, you know what? I'm really irritated and annoyed and angry that my sister is out there getting to hang out with all these people and I'm not. So if I can't do it, then she's not allowed to do it either, right? So misery loves company and she's trying to pull her in. It's very possible Martha might be angry about the fact that in this culture, women and men did not like cross mix, okay? Mary should not normally sit at the feet of a rabbi like Jesus because that meant she was his student, right? Like that was a no-no in this culture. Ladies, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm saying that's, you know, how it worked 2,000 years ago, right? And so Martha might be mad at her sister by being like, Mary, you're like messing up all the like, it's like coming to a dinner party without pants on, you know? It's like, oh, you probably shouldn't do that, man. That feels kind of like a faux pas right there, you know? And so maybe Martha is really angry and irritated about that. And she's like, you're making us look like a bunch of hillbillies right here, Martha. Come on, get your act together, okay? I don't know what, what her deal is, but here's what I know is Martha seems to me like she's kind of worked up and she's kind of afraid. Martha thought the solution was for Jesus to help her to do more. Hey, Jesus, send my sister in here so I can achieve more, so I can perform more, so I can get more. Jesus, however, thought the solution was actually for Martha to embrace doing less. Martha, maybe <laughs> you doing too much, Martha, right? You need to slow down, girl. How often is it, I'll, I'll just raise my hand, I'll lead us in this confession together, right? How often do I think, man, Jesus, there's so much stuff I've got to do, right? There's so many things, there's so many things that need to be done. There's so many, oh, this amazing stuff I'm gonna undertake, right? My eyes get bigger than my stomach when it comes to achievement. And all along, I think, man, I'm doing the most honoring and glorifying thing to God that the entire world has ever seen. All the while, Jesus is up in heaven going, dude, you're doing too much. Pathway to the life I, I desire for you and the life I hope for you isn't through doing more. It might actually be through embracing doing less. And Jesus says as much when he finishes up this story. He, he addresses Martha. The master said, Martha, dear Martha, right? This is not a scolding. This is not a Martha. You know, this isn't an eye roll. This isn't a face palm. Okay? Martha, dear Martha. You're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course, and it's not going to be taken from her. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Martha, it's not that what you're doing is wrong. It's not that what you're doing is bad. Okay, Hospitality, being the most welcoming, inviting, open people in the world, that's a calling for Christ's followers everywhere. That's a good thing for us to do. But what Jesus says is, Martha, 
when you're doing and achieving and performing and being all these different things to all these different people gets in the way of you being with me, of you resting in my presence, Martha, you've missed it. You've missed the whole point. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I hosted a couple friends over for Christmas dinner. And so I like to do it up big because I'm a Martha deep down on the inside. You just call me Wesley Martha Blackburn. That's my name. Uh, and so I remember I started, you know, if you've ever like been, so I'm like the cook chef person in our house. Okay. And so if you've ever done like a big family dinner, you know, this is like a big occasion. It's not like people are coming over at five. So, oh, you know, about 415, I'm going to crank up the microwave, you know, and get that, the microwave, I'm going to get that going, you know, and do that. Okay. And, uh, and so so I like start cooking. I think we have people coming over like six or something like that. And so it's like 10 in the morning or you know 11 in the morning. So I'm like starting to do this. And the first thing I'm gonna do is make a pie, a couple of pies. And of course, cause I gotta be you know, hostess with the mostess or host with the most. Sorry, that was really weird. That's creepy. That's why I said it that way. Um, so I gotta make my own pie crust, right? You know, cause come on, what am I, heathen? You know, and so I'm not gonna let Pillsbury do that for me. And so, uh, so I'm like rolling out this pie crust. You ever made a pie crust before? You know, the way you make it is you put it in your pie plate, then you put it in the mic or in the microwave. That was my problem. You put it in the oven, and you have to you make like a big sling, and you put like a bunch of weights in it, like beans or pie weights or something to kind of hold it down. So when you make the pie crust, it doesn't like slump over in the dish. You know, you've got a pie with like this much filling in it, right? And so I start. I put the first pie crust in the oven. I was feeling okay about it. I took it out of the oven and you take the like sling out and then you throw it back in the in the oven so it can like brown up and stuff you know be nice and firm and all that and so i take the sling out and all of a sudden just the whole pie crust comes right along with it and all of a sudden now we have waterworks now in the kitchen right <laughs> my wife was over visiting someone for christmas and i'm like here in the kitchen like i'm like i'm like one of the prophets from the old testament I'm like lord how far is justice from all of, you know like i'm just dying i'm freaking out here right um, and then Brittany eventually comes home, and now she's like, you seem a little stressed. And I was like, oh, you have no idea what just happened. You're right? yeah, all these kind of things. And she's like, remember, we're having people over for fun. You know, like, remember, this is supposed to be an enjoyable experience for you, that sort of thing, right? I was like, yes, I know. You know, like, I'm doing that kind of thing, right? But we kind of do that a lot, right? We're like, Jesus, it's such a joy to serve you. You know, like, we're, you know, we, we lose our minds because we lose sight of the ultimate goal of what we're doing, right? We lose sight of the fact that the big point is not what can I achieve, how impressive can I be, right? The big point is, man, I've been invited to be with God, right? This morning I read in Psalm 139, and, and Psalm 139 tells us that God's thoughts concerning each and every one of us are so numerous, they outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore, okay? That's a lot of thoughts about you, okay? That's a lot of thoughts about me. He just wants to love you. He just wants to be with you, right? He's just asking you and I to rest in his presence. And so today, I, I, like last week, I kind of gave you some options for a rule of life. Today, I want to be like really firm. I'm like, no, you need to do this. You need, to, you need to be a part of this. I want you to embrace the practice of Sabbath as a rhythm in your life, as your rule of life, okay? Let, let's talk a little bit about what that means, okay? Sabbath is this idea of taking 24 hours, a 24-hour period to rest and to be recreated, renewed, and restored uh, by being with God. Okay, essentially Sabbath is kind of this idea of I'm going to cease from work so I can be with God, so that I can experience rest, refreshment, 
and rejuvenation from God. Okay, that's what the Sabbath is. Now, a lot of us, when we hear that idea of 24 hours to just like do nothing immediately, we're like, well, who's going to do all the stuff, Wes? You know, and that's kind of the point, okay? The point of the Sabbath is when I take Sabbath, I'm acknowledging, you know what? There is always going to be stuff in my life that is undone because I'm not God, okay? Um, here's kind of a fun little fact I learned over the past few weeks, okay? Did you know that the ancient Jews, the way that they thought about their days, like I think my day starts when my alarm goes off in the morning and I wake up. The ancient Jews actually understood that the day began at sundown, okay, when they would go to sleep. The, the ancient Jews, actually, their understanding of time was, I work out of rest. And just to kind of reiterate that rhythm, God created the world, and he created my vocal cords, which sound like a middle schooler. God created my world. Anyway, and so God created the world in seven days, right? He created man and woman on the sixth day. You know what happened on the seventh day? God rested. So God made man and woman. We've literally done nothing in the world yet, and God says, hey, you guys look pretty tired. You should probably take a rest, you know? And the reason God wanted to take a rest wasn't because God was like, oh, man, that was a lot of work. You know, if you read Genesis, all he did was like light, Water, space, you know, like, I mean, like, come on, you know, I've already created like three things right now, right? One, because God got tired. It was because God was trying to show us a rhythm that you and I were not designed, the way we think of our lives, right? We think that we need, we, we need to work so that we can rest. God says, no, you got it all wrong. You rest so that you can work, okay? That your life is actually going to do more in operating from rest than you are by just like kind of going in on fumes and hoping that you can somehow make it happen. That's what the Sabbath is designed to remind us of, okay? Um, the Sabbath is a reminder to us of the fact that, man, I'm a human being, not a human doing, okay? Sabbath is this idea of, hey, I'm, I'm going to be refreshed. I'm going to be rejuvenated by something. And what that means is it's incredibly personal to you, okay? Some of you like to do yard work. My family likes to do yard work. Mom, if you're watching online, I know you love to do yard work. I think those people are the antichrist, okay? Like, I just don't understand who could enjoy working outside. That seems awful. I'm just kidding, Mom. I probably, I probably got, like, nine texts right now, okay? The working is, like, that's not me, okay? That is not, I hate working outside. That is not my thing, okay? But some of you love that, okay? And if that's your thing, go and do it, okay? That's you, okay? I like to cook, I like to bake, right? So I have like this little list of projects I'm always wanting to try or work on or do, right? So Fridays are my Sabbath, so I do that, okay? Um, some of you might enjoy like, hey, I enjoy being in nature. Great, go, do that. Take a run outside, whatever that is for you, okay? Some of you, you just like being with your family with your kids. That's totally fine. Some of you like to read, go ahead and do that. That's great, okay? All those kind of things are really huge. Whatever it is that rejuvenates you and fills you is a good Sabbath practice. Our Sabbath, I think, if we follow the example of Scripture, Sabbath should be something that's rooted in a rhythm of being with God, okay? The ancient Jews, they would do their Sabbath on the same day that they would worship, and the reason that they did that was because it was a reminder, kind of like we began, right? Mary, Mary rested in God's presence, right? And, and that should be a part of our Sabbath. Now, my Sabbath, you know, like Sunday's the day we worship, right? This isn't a really great Sabbath day for me, okay? So I do mine on Friday. I try to find something to supplement that as a practice to, to be with God beyond what I normally do. I listen to a sermon on the podcast or read a book or do something like that, right? That idea of being with God is very important because that is what your soul was designed to have, to experience, to know, okay? To, to have all that kind of stuff. Um, here's another thing. Sabbath, one of the things that's easy for us to do is we kind of veg out, 
right? And there, again, there's a place for that. There's a time for that. As much as I can encourage you to do, in your rhythm of Sabbath, man, your phone is the enemy to a great Sabbath, okay? As little as you can, do not look at your phone, okay? Here's what we know. Um, our phones are not helpful to our mental health. Basically, every single psychological study kind of reinforces that idea. Social media is bad for our health. Instant access to email all the time is bad for our health. All these kind of things, they are not good for our health. So we should just do our best to set them aside on our Sabbath. One of the things I will actually do is actually turn my work email off on my phone as like the sign that Sabbath has begun, right? It's like this little click, right? Like, like I'm not accessible anymore, right? And because it's kind of a sign to me to say, hey, you know what? I'm off, right? There's no emergency in the world that's like, oh man, I gotta be involved, right? Because I hate to tell you, the other person who really needs to get involved in the world's emergencies is God, right? Like he's the one that's going to make it better. Probably not me all the time, right? And so being able to say, you know what? I am going offline is a huge practice of Sabbath, okay? Like I said, Sabbath is a really personal thing, right? It's structured around you and how you're designed and how you're wired and what works for you, okay? But what I want to encourage you to do is to do it. Right? For many of us, this sounds scary because we're afraid, oh my gosh, what's going to happen in my set, right? What's going to happen with me not around, right? I know for some of us, we have jobs, we have careers, we have kind of responsibilities that are structured in a way that make it very difficult to take Sabbath, okay? We need to get creative sometimes and figure out how can we incorporate Sabbath in our lives, okay? But I'm here to tell you, this is an extraordinarily important practice of trust. Say, God, you know what? I trust that I'm going to give the best I have each day for six days, and I'm going to trust you to take care of what I can't take care of and do necessarily on the seventh day. And that's a freeing, soul-helpful practice, especially if you're a person who's wired to constantly be an achiever like me. I want to read you this passage from the Psalms, Psalm 46. Uh, we're told in Psalm 46 to be still and know that I am God. Now, I don't want you to miss this here. The knowing I am God, the knowing God part comes after the being still part. Okay? It's not be still, you know, and know that I'm God while you're like, like you have to be still first. Then I experience and know and find God Second, it's in the stillness that God speaks. It's in the stillness that God makes himself known. In the same way that Martha couldn't hear God because she was so busy fretting about all the different kind of things she had happening when he was in her home, we have a tr struggle to know and hear and seek God because we are so busy with all the stuff that we feel like we need to attend to. And some of you are like, Les, you don't understand my life. You're right, I don't, I don't. But here's what I do understand. You can take the Sabbath, or the Sabbath will take you, right? <laughs> like, those are the two things that end up happening in our lives. One of the most countercultural and extraordinarily different habits that we can take upon ourselves is a rule of life that says, in a world that always measures us by what we do, what we achieve, we say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be different. And I want my life to look different too. 
Let me pray for us to seek God and to find the rest that he offers us together. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I come to you on behalf of our church, on behalf of all the people watching online. And Lord, we just pronounce to you that we are really bad at rest. We pronounce to you that instead of our identity being found in you, our identity is so often found in what we achieve. It's found in our progress. It's found in what we feel like we are bringing into the table. And Jesus, one of the things that's humbling about being a follower of you is you announce straight out that the reason we're invited into a relationship with you isn't because we brought anything to earn our way to the table. The reason we are in relationship with you is because by a free gift of your grace, you have offered us the invitation. And so Jesus, right now, we declare and we are receiving your mercy and your grace to receive your invitation. Lord, you have invited us into rest and into life with you. Give every single person listening to the sound of my voice right now, Lord, give them the wisdom to be able to receive your word, to see how it applies into their lives. And God, give us the courage to follow you there. Give us in the, the courage in a world that always says you got to be on to take some time off. Give us the courage to be serious about rest, to be serious about refreshment, because you are. And we know that where your word leads us is where life comes. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, the Savior. Amen.